0: Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people between three and six times the target audience age group. But we're still captivated by these glorified toy commercials that we were subjected to endlessly in the 1980s. I'm Jason Thompson. I'm Stephen Alexander. Which episode are we watching today? Well, in a delightful bit of irony, Today, on what has been the hottest day of the year so far, we're dealing with the episode that sounds appropriate, called Fire in the Sky, but which begins with an unseasonal snowfall in the desert in July. This is a very unusual snowfall.
1: I mean, uh, in the opening scene, it is very clear that it's actually snowing upwards. It's uh, a slight
0: hiccup up with the animation uh, on the, in the very opening scene. Yes. But outside Autobot headquarters, it looks very Christmassy, even with all those conifer trees covered in snow. And Spike finds a giant snowman, which turns out not to be a snowman, but is in fact a snowbot. It's Jazz, who's just apparently stood there and let himself get covered in snow. And then we begin the episode with everybody, the Autobots and Spike, having a fun snowball fight. Uh, which is definitely cartoon snow, because it evidently weighs nothing and is like getting smacked in the face by a squirty cream puff, whereas you know that if you pick up a huge ball of snow and smack someone in the face, it hurts. <laughs> and if you've got a robot with, like, say, hydraulic arms
1: throwing a snowball at you, as at the speed at which Bumblebee seems to throw it at Spike, yeah,
0: it's, it's a miracle. He's, another miracle he survived. It's another miracle. Superman Spike. He survived not only getting a snowball in the face, but then turning into a huge snowball, rolling down a hill and scooping up all the other Autobots as well. But it's all good fun, except, of course, for party pooper Optimus Prime, who's just looking at it going, well, this is possibly dangerous. Because, yes, a snowfall in the desert in July is rather unusual. Probably needs investigating.
1: Yes, by somebody at least. Uh, temperatures are 40 degrees below normal. Now, at 40 degrees below normal, is that actually yeah,
0: everything on the planet is dead? It depends how long it's been going on. If it's literally just happened, you'll be fine for a while. But, yeah, <laughs> the sustained constant freeze-up would be a problem. So yeah. Optimus Prime pulls all the resources of Teletran 1, by which I mean he presses a button and tells Teletran 1 to look for something. And the... Uh planetary survey which apparently Teletram one is capable of doing it's a remarkably useful piece of kit discovers that there's something weird going on ah and gears is the one who says uh, "Ah, he bets that megatron and the decepticons are behind it yeah good guess. guess they are really because otherwise this would be a pretty strange episode it's like no no this is perfectly fine the decepticons are off doing something else
1: <laughs> if this was like based on cartoons at the time it- The top other culprit who
0: could be behind this, I think, is Professor Coldheart from the Care Bears. That's possibly true. That would have been an interesting crossover. It's a shame it never happened, really, isn't it? We should have. uh, We were denied a great crossover there. Care Bears versus Transformers. Can you imagine the Care Bears defeating Megatron's evil plans by the power of love? Yes, this has. Well, this happened with My Little Pony, but uh, that's a long way in the future for
1: us. Yes, it has happened. You know you know that's happened, don't you? You've seen the My Little Pony Transformers crossover.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that the film trailer that they did, uh, the Spook film trailer?
1: Oh, there, there was a comic they've done, uh, oh, okay. which is a genuinely uh, uh, authorised uh, My Little Pony Transformers crossover, where, yes, it is the power of love versus Decepticons.
0: Oh good lord. Okay. <laughs> I hadn't seen I wasn't aware of that one but uh, there we go. I shall go and do some homework. Excellent. Good. So it turns out the Decepticons are indeed up to no good because it would seem they have found some giant green crystal somewhere in the Arctic Circle. It leads directly to the Earth's core and they are draining the energy from the Earth's core. Yeah, it's it's like Earth's hot water bottle, isn't it? It's like a big big
1: cozy crystal that keeps Earth warm. Uh, rather than what is actually the centre of the
0: Earth, Jason? The centre of the Earth is a huge ball of molten, well, not molten iron, really. I'm not sure there's any giant green crystals that size anywhere. Besides which, if we're going to be picky about the plot, I'm fairly sure that most of the heat that we experience, and certainly the heat we're experiencing today, is from the sun, not the core of the Earth. So I'm not quite sure why draining the Earth's core of energy would have caused a massive freeze-up when the sun is still up. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, well, my, my vague understanding of science, uh, I, I once read somewhere that the reason we can't, uh, one reason why it's difficult to colonise Mars and possibly impossible is because it has a cold core. And that means that there's not enough temperature going around
0: to make it a feasible for colonisation. Primarily, the problem with Mars's cold core is that it stopped producing a magnetic field. So there's nothing stopping the solar wind from stripping the atmosphere from Mars That's and protecting the surface from... The lethal radiation that our own magnetic field protects us from. So
1: good, thank you. I'm so glad you're here because I would be getting all these facts so wrong. <laughs> I'd be, I'd, I'd, in fact, I'd be as dumb as Rumble without you. Um, and it's it's Rumble we see who is actually like he I, while we've been watching this through. Rumble has like snuck in become one of my fave characters because he's he's so so very stupid and so very like kind of cute with it. Uh, In a bizarre kind of way. And also, he's the most effective Decepticon who always, you know, like maybe Starscream might blast one or two. Rumble knocks out 10 with his uh, massive pile drivers. So, yeah, so he's a bit of a winner. He's being teased by Thundercracker.
0: Yes. Rumble is remarkably powerful. He's a tiny little robot who's gone one-to-one with Spike, isn't much bigger than a standard human, and yet he's got pile drivers that can create massive earthquakes and crack the ground and bring down buildings and mountains. So I think there's a strong case for naming Rumble as the single most powerful Decepticon who's ever shown up in these in these uh, cartoons.
1: He's doing very well, isn't he? But uh, mm-hmm. yes, and he, he also does,
0: He makes a special discovery this week. He does, because in response to Thundercracker's teasing, he goes all out on the ice face. And then it turns out there's something inside the ice. And it <gasps> appears to be a robot of unknown design.
1: Ooh. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely an unknown robot because, uh, you know, they're sitting there they're flicking through the, um, the Transformers catalogue. And he's not in it, is he? He's not in the first round of Transformers catalogue. So, you know, total mystery to everyone.
0: Indeed, yeah. Um, in fact, uh, this is uh, as Starscream fills us in when they dig the robot out. He's a massive white and red robot, and his name is Skyfire. And if you were looking for Skyfire in the toy catalogue, you wouldn't be able to find him. <laughs> because he was called Jetfire in the toy line, and he first appeared, on our shores anyway, in the autumn-winter 1985 Argos catalogue. Uh, good to know, good to know. So, yeah, so he is quite, he's, he's a late arrival. Yeah, so Starscream seems remarkably concerned for this robot, and it turns out that they were friends. Isn't that nice? The Decepticons <laughs> have friends. I, I actually love Starscream's voice in this, because,
1: like, the actor, and I've forgotten his name, the actor turns it down, like, several notches. So normally he's like, I must be leader of the Decepticons! And this, this week he's just, like, more relaxed and slightly more human he sounds a bit more sort. he sounds a bit sad a bit you know a bit um it, yeah just just toned down a bit and uh and it really sells that actually he did once have a friend
0: yeah absolutely he's he, for the first time he's far from the scheming plotting desperate to take over um Decepticon that we've seen so far he actually it's a different side to him that we get to see this time around and I quite like that
1: yeah, it's, it's it's good to get it. I mean, like for a character to suddenly have depth is, uh,
0: you know, you've got to take what you got or you've got to take what you're given. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. Maybe maybe this will herald a new, softer Starscream and we'll get to <laughs> like him a bit more. Well, let's see, shall we? Let's see, shall we? Yeah, let's see. Anyway, I... they, they activate his memory monitor, which remar- yeah. seems like a remarkably handy thing for them to have, especially as Skyfire's memory monitor is uh, in his head. And it just shows a nice picture of what went on millions of years ago. And Starscream is there millions of years ago in his Earth disguise form. Because apparently the memo about them having different forms on Cybertron wasn't given to the animators this week. I've got this one. I've so got this
1: one. So, like, you know, like, memory is the most malleable thing that there is. And it would almost work if it wasn't Skyfire memories. Because I could argue that Starscream remembers himself in that way as the uh, the uh, F-14 fighter jet, even though he was probably a tetrajet back then. And it also doesn't explain why Skyfire has a recognisable Earth kind of jet mode. Although it's not based on any kind of real jet,
0: is it? The the jet mode of um, Skyfire kind of has elements of Earth jets, but it has a lot of other sort of futuristic accoutrements and great big chunky things that stick on its back and things which make it the least aerodynamic flying vehicle that we've seen in Transformers so far he's got so many accessories yes well he was in fact um pulled from a completely different toy line and there seems to be some disagreement as to why he was changed so much in the cartoon so not only was he not called Skyfire in the toy line had a completely different name he had a completely different look as well he doesn't look anything like his cartoon counterpart in the toy toy line at all
1: yeah, he's, he's very different uh, in the TV series. Do you know the name of the toy line? Uh, I believe
0: that that one was Macross.
1: Yes, not, as I've been calling it, Macross. Uh, so uh, it's also your favourite who is uh, reactivating Skyfire, I should point out, Soundwave. Uh, he starts off at 50,000 volts to activate his memory monitor and then quickly moves up to a million volts. And I also really liked his spinny arm effect, which turns into a giant electro-waker-upper device, which I thought was... Uh, it, it's more like the Michael Bay Transformers, where there's... Because the, the G1 Transformers are very much solid blocks, but this time we actually see his arm sort of whirl and transform in, a, in that kind of... Um, in the mechanical parts sliding over each other kind of way. It's much more malleable, which is a word I've used
0: twice so far. And I thought that was really cool. Indeed, but again, it's one of those we see it once and we never see it again. <laughs> <laughs> powers that these transformers have—it's uh, they do—they do have occasional powers that are useful for the plot of that episode, and would be useful again later, but they get forgotten about. So, I, I'm, I'm going to challenge you on the word "occasional." Uh, I'm going to suggest the word "continuous." Uh, uh, yes, I will concede that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, here we have another. Uh, confusing bit because it would seem that earth is so close to cybertron that starscream and skyfire can fly to it quite happily to investigate it yeah no i've got nothing on that one so anyway the autobots meanwhile have discovered that the decepticons are messing around in the arctic circle and have decided to head on up and so they transform and drive to the arctic circle which is at least believable because the continental north american plate does actually extend into the arctic circle so they could well drive up there yeah, but we but we get the line. That's the main thing. We get Autobots. Transform and roll out at last. Finally, they've found the right line. They've found that uh, that catchphrase. They've settled on It's right. a keeper. Yeah, after all the variations we've had, they've, they've landed on the right one. And just to prove that they've arrived at the Arctic Circle, Spike points out the Aurora Borealis, Ooh. which have no part in the episode whatsoever, but are very pleasing to Optimus Prime's optical sensors. So Skyfire has been reactivated and joins the Decepticons because when Starscream and Skyfire knew each other, as Megatron put it, this was before their final falling out with the Autobots, which makes it sound a bit like some kind of marital spat, (laughs) rather than before we started this huge, devastating war that's been raging for millions of years.
1: Yeah, I, Starscream's approach towards skyfire he, he is a bit like an eight-year-old in the way he describes everything. Particularly when uh, Skyfire asks him, you know, why did you change? Why did you become a warrior? And he goes, ah, oh, being a warrior is far
0: more exciting! Without putting too fine a point on it, it's, he's very, very childish in that kind of way. Indeed, it's interesting that we get a bit of backstory that Starscream used to be a scientist. <laughs> I could just imagine that standing
1: there with test tubes and whatever and saying oh, I will do the greatest experiment of them all I and shall be lead author on this paper <laughs> <laughs> crossing out Megatron's name <laughs> <It's> me. <laughs> Starscream science well there we go Skyfire has a wonderful line uh, where he says it seems the time has come for me to make the change from science
0: to war which is about as simple as you get really isn't it it is yes so the Autobots roll up and they find a massive robot waiting for them
1: yeah and uh, they say oh, Autobots transform and that's it they just transform and stand about looking at it uh and Skyfire uh shoots Ironhide into a hole uh straight away
0: uh, and they come to the conclusion that he's probably a Decepticon Probably. Uh, the huge Decepticon logo on his chest that was put there at some place probably also gave that away. And Spike and Sparkplug get separated from the Autobots and end up on a ice flow.
1: Yes, I mean, like uh, Spike spends uh, a good few seconds dunked in the Arctic water. Again, um, not really survivable, but he's doing well. He's doing well. And they get rescued by
0: Skyfire, against all the odds. They do indeed. He picks them up and uh, he decides that the Autobots are evil. Spike and Sparkplug try to convince him otherwise. And he says, oh, no, I will take you to Megatron and he will tell you. So, of course, we all know, oh, God, this is terrible. But Skyfire is doing it in all innocence because he's bought the story and he believes he's on the good side. And it's the Autobots that are evil. It's
1: the power of propaganda, isn't it? You know, there's good people and they've just been led astray. And it's all about what you got to do is you just got to build bridges to them. That's what it's all about. Starscreen makes a really cool ice prism for Spike and Sparkplug. Uh, shoots the ceiling, gets some
0: lovely drips of ice coming down. I thought that was rather cool. That was quite fun, yes. It's a good. It's an interesting point, actually. This episode is the first episode that we've had so far where the Decepticons are not attacking a human facility. Ah! They've gone and they've found some kind of natural source of energy, but there are no other humans in this apart from Spike and Sparkplug. Uh, yes, which is... Cool, and quite a good way to
1: vary it a bit and, uh, and uh, keep things fresh, isn't it? So that's, that's nice.
0: Yes, I mean, if there's one thing that all the episodes so far have had in common. It's that Decepticons attack, get a load of energon. Autobots just about thwart their plans at the last minute, but not before the Decepticons have trashed the facility. Or indeed, the yes. Autobots have trashed the facility <laughs> while dealing with the Decepticons. Collateral damage is a big problem for the Transformers in general. <laughs>
1: Well, they're pretty big. I, actually, all of those things happen in this episode. Kind of, it's just not the facility there. They're just uh, in the ice. So, yeah. yeah, But it's it's cool. It's it's a change of scene. It's really
0: uh, it's really good. It is. Although well, you do wonder what all the humans are doing. <laughs> just having snowball fights, enjoying well, the snow. Yeah, I think uh, given
1: our humans' reaction to uh, things like COVID and climate change, uh, I should imagine that they're just burying their heads in the sand and saying, oh, it's a bit cold today. Let's just get on with life.
0: Probably. Uh, yes. Oh, sorry, Probably. that's a bit depressing, isn't it? It is a bit, yes, but never mind. It's uh, unfortunately fairly accurate. <laughs> so, so, the uh, uh, yeah. And find Spike and spark plug. and Good. so they transform. And Optimus Prime, I think, for the first time... Transforms without his trailer appearing magically behind him.
1: Ah, good and spot. And they
0: drive into a cave. Yes, and I they think go into Optimus Prime with his trailer. And then it <laughs> vanishes again. So <laughs> it's around somewhere. It's there when
1: he needs it. Um, I think at this point, Prime also remembers the last time he was standing outside a cave and he knew the Decepticons were inside, and he remembers his previous strategy, which was to send Bumblebee in with a massive bomb, and this time he's going for a different strategy, which is a much better strategy, which is just to send everyone in to go and attack the Decepticons. Uh, So, yeah, but the Autobots get split up at this point because Gears thinks it's a trap and uh, it's Ironhide, Hound, Gears and Ratchet fall down a big hole after Gears drives over it. I'm not sure why the big hole occurred. Were you watching carefully at this point?
0: I'm not sure why it occurred. I think it was just handy because it deposited them pretty much right on top of the Decepticons so that they could see what was going on. And somehow they deduced that because they had a cable plugged into this giant green crystal, that yes, indeed, they were siphoning energy off the Earth's core because that's apparently what that looks like.
1: <laughs> naturally, naturally. Ironhide gets a uh, good line here, which is, I'll be reprogrammed with a rivet roller.
0: <laughs> nice one. Uh, and it seems the Decepticons have almost finished getting their energy on. They seem quite happy that they've got almost everything they need. And they'll be fine as long as they're not careless. Get them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's such perfect timing, isn't it? And they send uh, they send Ravage off to find the Autobots. Uh, Hound points out that they've been searching. So back to the Autobots. Hound points out they've been searching the tunnel for Astro minutes. Astro minutes, indeed. Yes. How yeah. long is
0: astro, How many Astro seconds are in an Astro minute?
1: Well, I've come to the conclusion that an astro minute hour second is a completely indeterminate length of time and bears no relation
0: to anything. I think I concur with that assessment, yes. <laughs> because it does seem strangely inconsistent. Because if there are now astro minutes, why are they referring to billions of astroseconds in previous episodes? Exactly, yeah. It's just like
1: astro minutes. That could be an hour, could be 10 minutes. We don't know. No one cares they've been searching for a while a while yes (laughs) ravage is stopped in about three seconds by bumblebee uh who blasts the ceiling and stops ravage cold uh which is oh dear oh dear dear. one of about about four thousand cold puns or ice puns or snow flurry puns that have like just totally gone under the radar i'm sure there's more than i realize but I, i just
0: don't register them as they go past Well, when they really want you to pick up on them, they do emphasize it in the dialogue quite heavily and usually have someone groaning or laughing at it. So just to make sure we get the message that it's a deliberate pun. But the Autobots that went in and were found have been tied up on the giant green crystal outside.
1: Yes, that's uh, real perils of Pauline stuff, isn't it? Um,
0: It is. And Starscream now gives Skyfire the opportunity to prove his loyalty to the Decepticons. He will be the one to execute the Autobots. Uh, he says, uh,
1: those years under the ice have diminished your loyalty coefficient, Skyfire. Do you have a loyalty coefficient, Jason? Would you care to tell us how much it is?
0: Uh, I've no idea. I've never measured it. And it depends <laughs> to whom.
1: <laughs> That's fair enough.
0: I've got a loyalty coefficient of about, mm, I'd say, 7.23. That seems reasonable, I think. You know, loyal, loyal enough. <laughs> but not slavish. I think that's, uh, I don't know, that seems reasonable. Somewhere around <laughs> there. I'm not going to say whether that's out of 100 or 10, but there we go. <laughs> but anyway, Skyfire, of course, has a crisis of conscience about this because he's a scientist, not a soldier, and he doesn't see the Autobots have done anything wrong. Naturally, of course, Starscream takes this entirely in stride and says, Fair enough, and wanders off. Oh, no, wait, sorry, no, he goes completely bananas.
1: Yeah, shouty Starscream is back in a big way. Uh, He yells,
0: traitor! And um,
1: he kills, in order, Skyfire, Hound, Ironhide, Ratchet and Gears. And
0: they're definitely dead. They're in pieces. They're in pieces. (laughs) Skyfire's got a gaping hole in his chest and the other Autobots are in bits. Along with chunks of crystal and piles of snow. And it's terrible. It's only seven episodes in and Starscream's annihilated half the Autobot army.
1: And you literally have to wait the length of an advert break, which if you're watching on DVD is 0.05 seconds, to find out what actually happened there.
0: It turns out that it's one of Hound's holograms. And the Autobots are all fine, apart from Skyfire. And despite the crisis happening and the fact they still haven't found Spike and Sparkplug and all that and the other Autobots around, they stop to uh, repair Skyfire because... He prevented them from being shot and killed. That
1: is the Autobot way, isn't it? That is, you look after your comrades first, and, you know, you blast the Decepticon second. And while they're repairing them, Laserbeak is spying on them with the camera that comes out of his head, where his brain should be. And
0: he contacts uh, Megatron on the nipple phone, which is uh, <laughs> just... Oh, is that going to be a, is that going to be a thing now? Megatron's nipple phone. We're going to have to <laughs> the episode. Well, they're in the wrong place, technically speaking. They're
1: very odd nipples, but uh, yeah, he does have two lights that light up on his chest when Laserbeak is on the phone to him. And this is the bit where he throws the energy cube at Starscream, which is a lovely bit of uh, visual comedy. Uh, Indeed. Yes, bounces off him his on the head. Box. Basically, says you
0: idiot, <laughs> you didn't do the job properly. <laughs>
1: And StarScreen remembers about Hound's Holograms. And I think the Decepticons really should be onto Hound's Holograms by now because they've been through it a couple of times, haven't
0: they? They've been through it a couple of times. Hound's Holograms and Mirage's invisibility. Mirage is bizarrely absent in this episode, as far as I can tell. (laughs) Well, you never know, do you? Although he could be hanging around and just, you know, (laughs) just going to stay out of it, invisible in this corner over here.
1: (laughs) Mirage is in every episode from now on. Uh, He's
0: just not contributing much. (laughs) So they send Megatron, sends the Seekers. I'm going to call them the Seekers. (laughs) The Jets, yeah. Jets, the Seekers, whatever. All three of them out to attack the Autobots. Yeah,
1: and it is a big attack with lots of explosions. Really a very satisfying
0: attack on the Autobots at this point. And then Skyfire is repaired and he declares his allegiance. He's an Autobot now, and he randomly pulls out an Autobot logo from wherever the hell he got that, I've no idea, slaps it on, and then goes up to take care of the uh, the Decepticon jets. But not before. Megatron and Optimus Prime argue a bit, then break off chunks of that green crystal, which conveniently form swords with handles and everything, and have a sword fight.
1: Yeah. It's, okay, it's not it's not up to Sherman Dam standards, is it, as uh, alternative weapons for Megatron and um, Optimus Prime Go. But it is pretty cool. And what the best bit is Prime's spinning hand, where Megatron's about to attack him. He's lying on his back. His hand spins round, 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 round making a helicopter effect. And it knocks Megatron's ice uh, green ice crystal out of the way. And he's left with a little ice lolly, which he's holding in his hand. <laughs> that was my favorite bit. And then uh, Megatron gets the line, well done, Optimus. What a pity you've lost. Lost. (laughs) Megatron's really on the zingers this week, isn't he? He certainly is. Megatron orders Skyfire to destroy the Autobots once and for all. And Skyfire turns against him, says, I've taken orders from you. I am an Autobot now. And he immediately starts kicking everybody's ice. Uh, And he actually... Yeah, I (laughs) know, sorry. He beats up Megatron. Uh, and it's great when the uh the humans are cheering him on as uh, as he attacks the uh jets one by one uh with lines like belt him in the burners skyfire it's you know and we're all cheering skyfire along at this point because we've fallen in love with the scientist turned
0: warrior turned decepticon turned autobot of course the final confrontation is between skyfire and his old friend starscream and they're heading on a collision course with each other And they do collide, and Starscream goes flying off into the distance, but Skyfire doesn't pull up, fires his weapon, causing a huge avalanche in this remarkably shallow-looking depression that they're all standing in, so I'm not quite sure where all this avalanche came from, but never mind, which buries that giant crystal just as Skyfire crashes into the ground and is buried alongside it.
1: He's buried the green crystal of keeping the Earth warm forever. And there's no way, uh, oh god, there's no way the Decepticons can get it again, except unless it's Rumble, oh no, I don't care.
0: No, it's over, it's over. And, oh my god, Skyfire is no more. Indeed, the Autobots cluster sadly around a strange glowing patch in the ground. And Optimus Prime declares, We shall remember you, Skyfire.
1: Yes, as long as freedom exists, as long as Ties or Us is open, you will be remembered. Were you, brought in, were you brought into the emotion at this point? Were you, like, shedding a tear for Skyfire?
0: Um, I have to say no, uh, because I already knew, even the first time I watched this episode, I already knew what was coming in future episodes, but I won't spoil it at this point. <laughs> but no. I mean, they did, they did a reasonable job. Had I not known what was coming, Yes, I could believe that Skyfire had indeed sacrificed himself and the Autobots would always remember him.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he could have been a one-off character with no toy, which is the saddest Transformer of them all.
0: The indeed. one-off character
1: with no toy. Uh, or a one-off character with a toy for.
0: where you get the toy and spend ages wanting to work out which episode it came from. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen him in, oh no, he in this, oh I don't know, Okay. And um, again, as I said, because the toy didn't resemble the robot all that much, it would have been quite a challenge. So, yes. <laughs> he didn't even get to do the thing that you always see where he's half-jet
1: mode and his legs are poking out the bottom and he's running along half-jet, half-robot, which <laughs> uh, which is one of the finest things about the uh, Macross,
0: whatever it is called,
1: uh, Skyfire. So there we go.
0: Yes, indeed. But the episode finishes on quite a downer, really. I don't
1: know. I, you know... They started off without Skyfire. They finish off without Skyfire. They haven't won anything. They haven't lost
0: anything. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Overall, that was a pretty good episode, actually, with quite a quite a good bit of action involved, a good bit of a good bit of emotion, you know, emotional investment, and a nice bit of character development, even for Starscream, giving him a a past and a bit more of a, as you said, bringing his voice down a bit so that he's not the shouty smug git who's always going, I'm the best, you're crap, I'm the best, oh, I'm going to be leader, etc. I mean, he does go completely bananas in the end, but yeah, Yeah, that's fine. So who would you say, then, is the man of the match for this episode? There are only two contenders for the man of the match,
1: and I need to work out an argument to make the best choice, because it's got to be either Starscream or Skyfire. Uh, Starscream for uh, the stuff that he did, And Skyfire for kicking everybody's uh, backside.
0: Yeah. What do you think, Jason? I think it has to be Skyfire. I mean, yeah, he had a bit of an advantage in that he's twice as big as any of the other Transformers and can fly. And, of course, he sacrifices himself at the end to stop the Earth's energy drain from continuing and prevent the Decepticons from taking that Energon away. So I think it's got to be Skyfire. He's got a good heart, that Skyfire. Uh, It's a shame what happened to him.
1: Um, Yeah, I think overall, this is probably one of my top two introducing new robot episodes of the first eight episodes of the series. It's it's definitely up there. Okay, so we are this is the seventh episode of the Transformers. Do you think they rushed to get new Transformers into it too
0: early or do you think that it's fine? I think it makes sense in the context of the story they're trying to tell at this point, which is that. The Autobots and Decepticons have fled Cybertron in search of new forms of energy, and they've landed on Earth. And even with the Space Bridge established between Cybertron, it would be a bit much if they just kept bringing in loads of new Transformers here and there. And I think that this one is probably this is probably one of the best introducing a new Transformer character episodes in the whole run because later episodes they just kind of randomly appear. So, but this one he's actually. He's given a personality. Um, he goes through a character arc in within that episode. It's all about Skyfire. This episode, yeah. And he realises that he's been duped and that his former friend is now actually a bit of a tool. <laughs> um, that is
1: that is so relatable, isn't it? You know, you, you you meet someone who you haven't seen for a long time. You know, they tell you all the cool stuff that's been going on in their life, and you just realise that actually they're a bit of a t-
0: yeah. So that was a that was a pretty good episode and as you said it was it was different from the others that went before because there were no human facilities involved no stealing of energy from power plants or anything like that so it was a, yeah. it, was a it was a nice diversion nice different format for the episode so cool
1: cool but you know i, I i'm gonna say this every time it's time for another double bill so you know we've had we've had a new transformer introduced like is that it do you think there's going to be any more new transformers or is it just Skyfire? let's find out
0: Okay, so part two, the next episode. Do we think it might introduce some new characters? Well, the episode is called SOS Dinobots. Yeah, a title uh, with multifarious meanings. Indeed. Uh, what on earth are Dinobots? Never heard that <laughs> term before.
1: Do you think it's SOS there are Dinobots present? So SOS Dinobots, or is it SOS Dinobots? Dinobots save our
0: souls. It's I think Dinobots save our souls based on what happens at the end of the episode. Okay. We get <laughs> but we begin with strange earthquakes happening at the Ark, the base of a volcano. Who could it possibly be? It's got to be Rumble, surely. Earthquakes. It's, rumble. it's got to be Rumble. Um, or it could be that they're, you know, sitting on a volcano. <laughs> it
1: might be. Fortunately, Ironhide has sonar. Dark which allow his sensors to detect
0: Decepticreeps, as they're now called. What on earth is Sonadar? Who knows? But uh, far from discovering Decepticons, he finds a strange cavern behind a rock wall. And believe it or not, they just blast it open or knock it open. I think Sideswipe uses his uh, his um, his hands turn into weird... things. I don't know. Hammers? <laughs> I don't know what they
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're sort of chisels aren't they yeah. they look like chisels don't they
0: and um, do. very for oh. digging through rock not quite sure what other purpose they would have served and why he had them in the first place but there we go exactly yeah and Braun helps as well because
1: he's the strongest uh of the little autobots that's quite good and what do uh, what do they find in the cave jason
0: they find the fossilized remains of some dinosaurs Ooh. Ooh, dinosaurs cool which is incredible and cool and is there anything better for a children's cartoon than combining transforming robots and dinosaurs because every kid loves dinosaurs yeah I love dinosaurs you love dinosaurs I love di- I had dinosaur books I had those um, those little wooden um, slot together dinosaur skeletons yeah. Rex and a Stegosaurus and all sorts of things like that. I had dinosaur toys. I had a glow-in-the-dark rubber plastic dinosaur. We used to do school trips to the museums, and you always got those rubber dinosaurs at the museums that were. Do you remember? Very... Do, you
1: remember do you remember? I think it was Cornflakes who did the. They did the lenticular dinosaurs. So you'd you'd hold the card one way, and it'd be the dinosaur skeleton, and you hold it the other way, and you get to see the actual dinosaur. Did you ever get any
0: of those? You mention that, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. I, Quite a few of those. When you used to get toys and things like that in cereal packets, you don't get that anymore. It's a a great loss to the world, the lack of toys in cereal packets. Is is it because people ate them? I would like to think that it's not because they came in a plastic bag and were noticeably not a (laughs) cornflake. But given that silica gel packets have do not eat written on them, and that suggests that that's because somebody has eaten them, you never know, do you? yes anyway
1: so back to the cave and yeah so they find the dinosaur bones and uh, I think they ask uh, they are spike to continue their dinosaur education because they're as excited about dinosaurs as we are
0: yeah because spike spike is a spike is a young man and is therefore fascinated by dinosaurs and probably had dinosaur books in his bedroom as a kid and can probably tell you everything that you need to know about dinosaurs have we got an opinion
1: on spike's age we've probably discussed this already but have we how old do we think he is this week?
0: I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> it's just, he's not old enough to be let out without adult supervision because Sparkplug is still around. But uh, <laughs> How old do you have to be to drive in America? It's like 16, isn't it? I believe so, although I'm not sure whether that's flexible based on the sentience of the vehicle that you're driving. <laughs> or just sitting in the driver's seat while it does its own thing, so...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so that that might be given that the car drives itself. Yeah, so
0: they, they head off to the museum. Indeed, which again, like every other human facility that we've encountered so far, is sufficiently cavernous for a giant robot to walk through quite happily. Look, Jason, you've been to the Natural History Museum and the Science Museum and the Transformers would ha- fit happily in both. So. They would fit happily in the interior spaces, but I don't know how they get through the doors. <laughs> I, I, they got right that big blue model
1: blue whale they have at the Natural History Museum. Yeah, yeah. do you know how they got that in there? I do I, not. No, neither do I.
0: <laughs> it I, remains a mystery to this day. I, I presume it was made in brought in in pieces and assembled more or less in situ. Maybe they did that with the Transformers. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. So, yeah. So they have, uh, they have gone to the museum and they check out the dinosaurs. Mm. And one of them is a Tyrannosaurus rex. Yep. One of them is a Triceratops, which is one of the coolest dinosaurs. And one of them is a Brontosaurus. It's captured their imagination. Wheeljack says, if only we had some dinosaurs working for us. That's a hell of a leap, isn't it? If only we had these great big, simple, idiotic reptile creatures. If only we had them working for us. I'm not quite sure what he thinks they would do um, as dinosaurs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's dinosaur fever, isn't it? It's it's like when Jurassic Park came out, everybody's suddenly super excited about dinosaurs. It's dinosaur this, dinosaur that. What if we had some ro- dinosaurs of our own? Oh, yeah, Prime says, great idea. I love dinosaurs. Get me some dinosaurs.
0: Yes indeed Prime authorizes Wheeljack to begin building robot dinosaurs.
1: Should mention this point there's a little interlude uh, Soundwave and Reflector have gone to a waterfall to apparently look up women's skirts.
0: Yes. That's a rather unfortunate bit of animation. Soundwave is lurking in a <laughs> underneath the thing and he's pointing something up towards some people who deliver the wonderful entirely expositionary line as long as water is flowing over the waterfall this will constantly generate electricity and they yes. don't say anything else so they're not having much of a conversation those two people <laughs> and yeah of is you know this is the first i think this is the first woman we've actually seen on the show uh I, it's third by my count there's the woman on top of the barn when the
1: dam collapses uh betsy brainiac and uh upskirt woman
0: from the waterfall Wasn't Betsy Brainiac the computer in in one of them, though? (laughs) Rather than an actual woman. Uh, Close enough for me. Okay. Uh, And Megatron uh, identifies the waterfall as a perpetual energy source. Yes. Although, as the guy has just said, it's only working as long as there's water going over the falls, and occasionally that stops happening. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, nobody cares or remembers what's happening with the Decepticons because the Autobots have built robot dinosaurs. They have indeed. There's a great montage of them constructing the various parts, uh, legs, a huge body that is lowered onto some feet and just there's a little flash of light and apparently they're f- they're fixed up together. It's all great. Humans That's- and Autobots working together to build these giant dinosaurs.
1: Yeah. I love the green blueprints you get on the Teletrans one screen as well, giving you a, a hint of what they're going to
0: look like. It was really cool. Indeed. Yes, that is fantastic. And then, Bizarrely, and to the confusion of at least a couple of the Autobots, Wheeljack introduces the Dinobots, and in stride, three massive robots. Yes, but I must stop you immediately, because Windcharger gets a line! He does, yes, he's he's appeared in previous episodes... But he's not said anything. But Now he gets a line. He doesn't get anything else to do. No one acknowledges him or calls him by name, but he has a line. And he says, will you get to the point?
1: So (laughs) thank you for your input, Windcharger. I'll be looking out for more Windcharger excitement
0: in future episodes. They turn up and he introduces the three Dinobots, Grimlock, Slag and Sludge. Yeah,
1: and the Autobots are not immediately blown away by their robot modes, you know. They say, we've got
0: robots. Look, we're all robots. <laughs> we don't need more robots. Indeed, Huffer points out you were supposed to be making dinosaurs. <laughs> and so Wheeljack tells them to transform, and they do, and it's awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I can, j- just the appeal of it, just the glorious, there are three robot dinosaurs in the arc. Slag seems to say honk, honk. Uh, So maybe there's some goose genes in there as well. And
0: maybe it's the goose genes that causes the Dinobots to run amok. It could well be. Uh, There does appear to be a slight animation problem because he says, let's put the Dinobots to work. Clear this rubble away. And Grimlock's jaw, his mouth lights up from within and Sludge's eyes light up. And slag, the tips of his horns on his nose and his head start to glow with energy. And then the rubble in front of them glows with energy and doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) Presumably it was supposed to be disappearing, but somebody forgot to uh, bring that effect into play because everyone seems remarkably impressed by something that didn't actually happen. But there we go.
1: Well, oh, I, I, making rocks glow is a great skill and should be applauded. You know, you can't i, I can't make a rock glow. You can't make a rock glow, but the
0: Dinobots have that ability. So, good old Dinobots, good old Dinobots, and then it all goes a bit pear shaped. Yes, it is a lovely day in the Ark, and a you, lovely day in the Ark, three you... massive robot dinosaurs trumping around, shooting at everybody. Yes, and Grimlock is straight into the control room and attacking Teletran One. Yes, indeed. Yet another exploding computer.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, actually, I'm not surprised at this point because Grimlock's opening up his fire mouth and blasting the uh, blasting the living bejesus out of it. Uh, Bumblebee and Spike rush into the control room to try and stop Grimlock. Um, they don't have a plan, and sometimes that's good because you don't have a plan, you go in, you take action, and it all works out. But this time, it's just a disaster. Bumblebee gets knocked on his side. Teletran one explodes.
0: Ah, what a mess! Yep, Autobots are getting flung left, right and centre by these giant robots because Wheeljack has made them big and powerful. And after about five minutes of total carnage, Wheeljack suddenly goes, wait a minute, maybe my magnetic inducer will stop them. Well, thank you. You couldn't have come up with that a bit earlier?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Before Teletrad 1 was destroyed, perhaps. Um, And sure
0: enough, he presses a button and the Dinobots just stop. Our incredibly useful invention of the week that never gets mentioned again. Yes, indeed, a magnetic inducer that stops Dinobots in their tracks. What else could it stop? Other <laughs> robots, maybe? I don't know. Pot- potentially. Yeah. Uh, Optimus, yes. They are they are shut away in in the cavern because Optimus Prime decrees they are too dangerous and must never be activated again. Yep. And they uh, they
1: seal them in a big cavern and bury them with rock. And because we've seen previous episodes of Transformers, we know that they will be back out again within five minutes.
0: Yes, they blew the cavern open earlier on in the episode. They've sealed it the off with a rock fall. What this is doing to the structural integrity of the rock above the arc at this point, <laughs> I don't know, because they've just blasted a big chunk of it <laughs> into a bar. Caves in cartoons have an endless supply of rock at the top of them.
1: Yes. Uh, And uh, they're doing well not to set off that dormant volcano again,
0: aren't they? They are really. Yes. So there we go. The Dinobots have been sealed up. Yep. I will never see it again. So that's it. That's all. Grimlock, Slag and Sludge, three of the greatest characters. And And they're just sealed in a cave. Never to be seen again. Didn't even last as long as Skyfire, did they? Nope. Not even that long not even that long. The amazing thing is that we've got this far into the episodes and the Autobots have absolutely no clue what the Decepticons are doing yet.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, I don't think the Decepticons do either. Megatron's plan to attack a waterfall is, okay, last week he was attacking green crystals that kept the Earth warm, but attacking a waterfall on the ground that it's a perpetual energy machine
0: is, is it the most stupid thing they've done yet? Well, it does kind of make sense because it it, it, they are attacking a hydroelectric plant, which is very similar to the Sherman Dam thing that they were doing before. It's just that this one's on a waterfall instead of a dam. It's a, yeah. you know, extracting energy from a natural source, which is great. I mean, Transformers, as I think we said in a couple of episodes ago, is ahead of the game on renewable energy sources here. It is. our so station, we've had a hydroelectric facility at a dam. We've had a, another hydroelectric facility at a waterfall. They're just... Uh, you know, I haven't yeah. seen them go for a, a coal-fired power station or a nuclear power station yet. You know what's holding back the Green Revolution?
1: It's it's the insurance values of hydroelectric and solar
0: power after all those Decepticon attacks. Yeah, insurance premiums must be through the roof at this point. Yeah. No, one, no one would insure your facility for that, would they? No, no. So
1: uh, anyway, <laughs> at this waterfall generator, you've got some... Um, uh, well, I'd say a rather camp-looking gentleman running the uh, the Waterfall Generator who phoned up Teletran 1, but Teletran 1 is obviously out of action after Grimlock's attack, and the Waterfall falls to the Decepticons, and Megatron stands in front of a big, great big pride
0: rainbow uh, as he declares that the Waterfall is now his. It's interesting that they've developed the series this far, and now humans are... Not only are humans working on weapons against the Decepticons, as they were a couple of episodes ago, but now they have a hotline directly to Teletram 1 so that when the Decepticons turn up to trash your facility, you can call the Autobots to make sure that the destruction is utterly complete. Do you think think they include that on their health and safety posters? (laughs) There must be procedures for
1: giant robots appearing, which should be (laughs) run away. Yeah, your muster station is
0: five miles away. Yes. And when you see the other good guy robots turning up, keep running because, you know, they're just as dangerous, really. (laughs) (laughs) They're not
1: good shots. That is very evident.
0: No, they're not. So with Teletram 1 out of commission, the Autobots have to rely on old fashioned means of surveillance, like driving around looking for things. Yeah. Hounds doing his favourite thing and driving out with sexy, sexy Spike uh, looking for Decepticons. Sightseeing. I'm pretty sure he's not supposed to be sightseeing. I'm sure he's supposed to be patrolling, but he says he likes sightseeing. But as I recall, and I'm open to correction on this because I haven't looked it up, but as I recall, Hound's character bio made a big thing about how much he loved being on Earth.
1: Yes, yes, it does. Yes. And we saw that in a previous episode where he was driving around the desert saying what a lovely time he was having with Spike. So, yeah, so he's he's living his best life at the moment. Um, How long does it take him to find the Decepticons?
0: Uh, not long, because for some reason the Decepticons keep doing things within range of the Autobots' driving distance. Considering they can all fly, you'd think they'd just go a bit further afield. You know, the Autobots are just over there. Shall we attack that facility that's between us and the Autobots? Or shall we take flight from our ocean base and go to a completely different country that they can't drive to? How many, how many waterfalls do you think there are in the world? Many, 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 many,
1: many waterfalls. Many, many. Uh, of all the waterfalls in all the world... You
0: had to do the one right outside the arc. Absolutely. Maybe it was the only one with a hydroelectric power station attached to it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. Now there's something to look up. How many waterfall hydroelectric power stations are there? Uh, Which I'll find out later.
0: Um, How many waterfall hydroelectric power stations were there in the 1980s? More to the point. that is is Because the Transformers cartoon is contemporary at this point. It's supposed to be set about the same time as it's being shown. So it is definitely about the 1980s. Interesting idea. Yes, Uh, Hound is on his way, and uh, Optimus
1: Prime says that he will be with Hound in eight thousand astroseconds, which
0: seems like he's not really making an effort, does it? Not really, but again, eight thousand astroseconds. As we decided, he will be with him in a while (laughs) when he's ready. (laughs) When When I finish sweeping up this bit of crap over here, and I you know put my feet up and had a bit of lunch, I'll come and rendezvous with you once we
1: finish working, how to prop up the uh, this mountain above us after we blew most of it up, we'll uh,
0: we'll be with you. We've, we have to have some more, more pressing concerns at the moment. Indeed. So once again, the Decepticons are extracting the energy from the power station and uh, making energon cubes. And once again, if Megatron's decided that this is a perpetual for supply of energy, why are they trashing the facility that's making the energy? They always treat the power stations as if they're batteries with a finite supply of energy that they have to extract before they fly off. It's like, why don't you just plug yourself in, (laughs) Set up a base around this perpetual energy supply, plug yourself in, defend it and just keep on churning out energon cubes.
1: Uh, Yeah, but we're, we're about 20 years off the USB port being invented, so it's not really feasible, is it? (laughs)
0: <laughs> quite possibly not yeah. quite possibly not intriguingly they've gone back to the uh squashing the energon cubes down like they did in the first couple of episodes which we haven't seen for a while the last few episodes have just had the energon cubes being filled up and piled up in a corner somewhere now we're back to squishing them down squishing them down energon sherbet dip dabs
1: delicious yeah but then the autobots arrive yes the autobots but not bumblebee but not Bumblebee. Not Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Uh, when they left the Ark, uh, Optimus Prime said, "Autobots, transform and roll out." And Bumblebee half transforms, and Optimus Prime says, "Not you, Bumblebee," and he half transforms back. Uh, I do like the abandoned transformation. I thought that was a really cool little touch. That um, was
0: yes,
1: yeah. But uh, for some reason, he's left Bumblebee guarding the Ark. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Fine. Uh, that's a fair tactical choice, I think. Yes, please, yeah. When you when you want to guard your headquarters, you want to leave your smallest, um, possibly least powerful soldier and uh, random scientist. Because Wheeljack has stayed behind as well. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: well, you, well, you can't you can't get Wheeljack out of the Ark. I mean, he's always in there tinkering. Uh, you know, you you get Wheeljack out of the Ark. The only way you can do it is by promising some amazing uh, science. Uh, piece of technology that would excite him enough to get him out, and you know he's just not coming out for. are they attacking a waterfall. Oh, do I care? They care.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, robots have arrived, and they transform into robot mode, except Blue Streak, who for some reason transforms from robot to car. He's uh, he, he's been running alongside them. <laughs> uh, he missed the initial command to transform and has run all the way, and now he's just transforming into car mode because he's knackered. Indeed. And so now they're, and so now they're going to have a fight. <laughs> yes, well, no, because they get there. Where are the Recepticons? Uh, there they are. Megatron leaps out from
1: behind a rock. Starscream leaps out from behind a rock, and uh, they start attacking the Autobots. And it's all very, very exciting. I think Stars- I've got
0: a note here. Starscream. Starscream at one point says, "You're too slow, Rusty Pants." Um, Indeed does, yes. Uh, the uh, sophistication of their dialogue has gone down a little bit since the last episode. They've, I think, yeah, they must have been watching like Earth TV and
1: getting involved in the, all these sort of Earth idioms because uh, they're really getting
0: quite childish with their insults, which I they love. Are, plus, of course, Transformers don't have pants <laughs> or trousers as we would call them in this country. <laughs> yeah. uh, so presumably they've been picking up They've been listening to Earth radio and watching Earth television and things like that to pick up these phrases and started to adapt them for their own use. It's all building up to my all time favourite,
1: which is coming in the episode. I think it's Revenge of Bruticus, where (laughs) Starscream gets Megatron on the uh, on the space time blower and says to him, come in, Mega Bum." (laughs) (laughs) I, I just like, I mean, I, the only reason I'm doing this podcast is because I want to share that moment. I want to watch it again, talk about it at great
0: length, but that's going to come. That's going to come. So, so we will not worry about that at the moment. That will come. But here we have, you asked a couple of episodes ago whether Megatron's fusion cannon was ever referred to as such in the dialogue. Because, of course, on his character bio and in the comic strip, I think it talks about his fusion cannon Yeah, can apparently harness the power of black holes and what have you but there we go don't ask Um, certainly doesn't do anything like that in the cartoon Uh, but he says now witness the power of my fusion cannon for some reason plugs it in with a giant cable and then uses it. And it does seem that whatever he's plugged it into has boosted the power a bit, because last time he was shooting people with his cannon, it was mildly inconveniencing Starscream when he got hit in the shoulder, usually missing. But this time he blasts huge chunks of rock out of the uh, out of the countryside next to that waterfall.
1: It really has got it off the uh, only shoulder injury setting uh, and into the, the actual painful setting. And uh, based Again, on what you just said, it turns out that a waterfall is more powerful than a black hole.
0: Indeed. Fancy. So it would seem. So Megatron should plug himself into waterfalls more often. He also does work with the assistance of Rumble, (laughs) who is also pounding away again with his pile drivers. I think Rumble has been using his pile drivers in pretty much every episode so far.
1: Certainly has. And they're certainly effective again. Um, They uh, knock the Autobots off the cliff edge they're standing on and into the sea, which distresses Optimus Prime so much he turns blue.
0: Yes, indeed. And Megatron seems to think that this time around, water will short out their circuits, even though we've seen Autobots and Decepticons alike underwater quite happily. Their whole uh, base is underwater,
1: for God's sake!
0: Yeah, but they only go in and out of it via a thing that sticks up into the sky.
1: We saw... When when they crashed their spaceship, we saw Megatron swimming out of his base to, uh, to remind us that he was still alive. It, OK, yeah, yeah, OK. Well, maybe... Because they've been blasted up, it will.
0: It maybe he's like broken the seal or something, and it will short out their circuits. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, I don't, maybe. I'm still trying to work out why transformers float, given that they're huge metal robots and <laughs> they can float and get carried down the sea, down the river, like right? like people do. Um, but the plan is to retrieve their shorted out bodies later. Yes, yes. So back and, at uh, back at the Ark. Meanwhile, back at the Ark. Bumblebee Uh, and Wheeljack have figured out that Optimus Prime and co have been away too long and must be in trouble. But of course, Bumblebee and Wheeljack are not going to go up against the Decepticons on their own because, you know, it's Bumblebee and Wheeljack. So they decide they need some help. And Wheeljack, despite Optimus Prime's decree, as Bumblebee puts it, that the Dinobots should never be activated, has made extra brain bits for the Dinobots that will make them easier to control and also apparently confer on them the power of speech. Yes, well, that's what happens when you have a
1: mind expander, which is what he has some uh, some mind expanding material uh, for the Dinobots. Uh, yeah, I ugh, this would be so great. This would be so. Well, or would it actually? Do I need to be much smarter than I am? Uh, no, I'm not saying I'm super smart. I'm just saying, like, would being more intelligent be of any
0: actual benefit to my life? Well, based on the uh, available evidence, Wheeljack's mind expander doesn't expand the mind very much. <laughs> no, they're not a super geni. Oh no, they're not a super genius level yet.
1: Although I am aware that that does happen to Grimlock at some future point. Indeed.
0: Uh... <laughs> See, uh, the Dinobots now, uh, when they're activated, they have voices and they speak. Uh me Grimlock and, the, and this is what makes them such fantastic characters for the kids watching And what I loved is they don't have complicated dialogue at all they're just like oh me Grimlock go now <laughs> uh, and, uh, we do as told for now yeah. and a, a, a bit of a tangent um, which some of the listeners here will appreciate and some will wonder what the hell we're talking about I'm sure but various times fandoms overlap it took me ages to figure out. I was sitting there thinking, what is that voice reminding me of? What is it reminding me of? And I realized it reminded me of um, Hetra, the Optera from the web planet. <laughs> oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> a very, a very creaky,
1: <laughs> very creaky old William Hartnell uh, era story from uh, Doctor Who um, with, yes, creatures who speak in a similar, though not the same kind of way. Um yeah, the very first words that a dynabot says is slag with, ah, save friends. Yeah, I'm going to do the voices badly as well. And uh, Slag says, oh, maybe we should. <laughs> Damn it, you're better than me. Okay, uh, I'm going to get over this eventually. Uh, <laughs> the Autobots are chained up with an absolutely horrible multicolored kind of mess which I'm not going to describe what it looks like, but it's
0: disgusting. It's an energon chain, I assume. It's it the same effect as the energon cubes, but it does look rather like those um, disco light strings that you get in old crappy nightclubs and what have you—just the long tubes with multicolored lights inside that flash alongside, alongside with the music. That's what that reminds me of. Ah, yeah, disco. Yeah, disco light. They look like disco yeah. light tubes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> They have, in fact, been suffering because they're not really able to say anything or fight back. Yeah. Optimus uh, Prime is still blue. Optimus Prime is blue. Yes. For some bizarre reason. And they're about to be finally terminated when what are those huge robots flying towards them? It is. There is
1: like half a second's difference. He's looking at Optimus Prime. Ready to him. It's Decepticons. Ready. Aim. And then he looks up. To see the uh. Dinobots flying in behind him a second later, and they'd have been a goner. I don't I, like at that point, you're pretty much committed to killing the Autobots. Uh. <laughs> you just carry on rather than worry about the other flying robots.
0: You'd have thought so. Here we see an illustration of the uh. limitations of Wheeljack and Bumblebee's instructions because all they've said to them is save our friends, and the Dinobots are flying up there. Uh, which one's friends? Um. I think it's um. Hmm. Sludge, who points and or slag. One of them points to his Autobot logo. Uh, ones with face like this, I think. <laughs> couldn't Wheeljack and Bumblebee have shown them some pictures before they left or something? You know, these are the guys you want. We like these guys. We don't like these ones.
1: Yeah, well maybe they didn't have an Argos catalogue to hand. Perhaps not. Yes, that would have been helpful. Yeah, uh, look at oh, these guys. So these guys arecepticons. These are the Autobots. Uh, Five ninety nine, six
0: ninety nine, and uh, nine ninety nine for Optimus Prime. I, I think it's quite believable. There might actually be a Transformers toy line in the Transformers cartoon, because with all these giant robots turning up, kids are going to think, that's really cool. I want a toy of that. Who, if there was a real Optimus Prime, wouldn't you want a toy Optimus Prime? OK, so your, your homework, should you choose to accept
1: it, is to find out if in any branch of Transformers we have seen the evidence
0: of Transformers toys occurring in the Transformers universe. I think we'll just throw that open to anyone who's listening, because I'm sure that <laughs> somebody out there will know the answer to that without having to look it up. A uh, Wheeljack appears to actually almost kill Megatron at this point. Yes, he fires a neuroinhibitor shell, another extremely useful weapon that destabilises Megatron's equilibrium. While he's down, he should have got him with a magnetic
1: inducer and then employed whatever other thing he was... Oh, that thing that he stuck on his leg that took control of his body. That would be fantastic.
0: It would. And then, because Megatron has fallen, Starscream declares Megatron has fallen. I am the leader, and then he orders them to retreat, and nobody does. <laughs> Instead, we have a long fight uh, with the with the Dinobots, um, who are yeah.
1: generally kicking ass and being cool. They are so cool; they are absolutely slagging the jets. So they are they're, they're blasting them with their fire breath. <laughs> oh you my god. Bra- them out of the sky with his jaws and tosses him over his shoulder. That is just the coolest thing. I mean, yeah, it's pretty stupid of Skywarp to fly that low, but you know, it's worth it because it's so cool. Rumble gets to be really cool,
0: and he gets a little rhyme. Yeah, he's been working on his poetry. Good old Rumble. If on Decepticon turf you happen to tumble, look out, robot, because here comes Rumble. And once again he brings his pile drivers into action, but this time Sludge is having none of it slams his foot on the ground and a crack opens up and Rumble falls in and goes, no fair! (laughs) (laughs) That is probably the most satisfying
1: moment we've had so far on the Transformers. Rumble finally getting out-rumbled.
0: It's fantastic. Indeed. So Megatron decides that something needs to be done about these giant robots. And so he transforms into gun mode, but doesn't actually shrink very much, instead of which he sticks to the bottom of Starscream. Which is which? Which makes so much more sense, doesn't it? Actually? It does. <laughs> it does. Although I always find, I always found it odd, even when I was watching this um, as a, as a child, that nine times out of ten, when Megatron transforms into Gun Mode, he flies straight for Starscream's hand. Now, knowing that Starscream wants to take over as leader, why didn't Starscream ever go? Oh, that's handy, and crush him or bury him under rock or something instead of just using him as a weapon. <laughs> Soundwave would be the logical choice. I was going to say maybe Starscream's a better shot than all the
1: others, but evidence suggests otherwise. So yeah, so, so yeah, so anyway, is buddy Starscream. Uh, that's okay. And while he's shooting at the Dinobots, Wheeljack has found the Autobots' weapons and uh, and immediately goes to shoot the other
0: Autobots who are tied up. Yes, rather oddly, it seems the Autobots' weapons actually confer energy and repair on the Autobots. That seems like a rather odd weapon to have.
1: Well, no wonder the war's been going so badly. So, yeah, they've, he's got Sideswipe's flare guns to dry them out and Blue Streak's bolts to give them a recharge. Yeah, they, they've really got to think that through. And once the Autobots are out and fully charged, it's all over, really, for the Decepticons. Uh, Megatron sounds the retreat at
0: 20 minutes and 30 seconds this episode and they do indeed actually retreat this time because you know, <laughs> Starscream said retreat earlier and everyone went nah, stop that, I'm carrying on yes, uh,
1: yes. there's a previous episode where Starscream said, he, oh, I never say retreat and maybe they were just holding him to it and saying, well I'm Bumblebee and Wheeljack are very contrite, and they go up to Prime and say, sorry, we we disobeyed orders, but, you know,
0: like, you're still alive, so could you let us off, please? But Prime says, even the wisest people can be in error sometimes. The Dinobots have proven their worth, and they can stick around, and everyone cheers. (laughs) Yeah, basically, the Dinobots
1: are cooler than everyone else, and they are going to sell so many toys, so really, we're going to have
0: to keep them on. Yep. Again, the Dinobots are another another branch of a, a pre-existing transforming toy from Japan. Um, and I certainly, I mean, I had, not when I was a child, but later on when I started collecting Transformers in my early 20s, yeah, the Grimlock toy at least has a seat that folds out on his back for a little tiny person to sit in and ride in. Yeah, yeah, they, they have, they've got the little people. They're a bit like
1: uh, Zoids in that respect, aren't they, with the little... Uh... Little uh, people riders. Oh,
0: Zoids were great fun. <laughs> Love Zoids. Zoids <laughs> were brilliant. For anyone clock- doesn't remember Zoids, um, these, these were clockwork robot creatures uh, that you could get little ones or huge ones, depending on how much money your parents were willing to spend that Christmas. Um, and they came in pieces you had to snap the little pieces off the off the trees bit like model kits but they all just slotted together and had little rubber things that held the joints together and what have you and then you wound them up and they walked along and uh, they were quite fun yeah they were cool and i had a couple
1: and they were they were great fun it was it was cool that there were ones that were so big and expensive you know that you could never have them so you so we get off top of it so you you bought a grimlock in your
0: 20s I did, yes.
1: I have bought the, I recently bought the Studio Series 86 Grimlock in my forties. And it's, it's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous chunky toy, uh, much bigger than the original.
0: uh, And I'm very happy with it. The Dinobots were fantastic toys and I wanted them and I never got them when I was a child. Dinobots I remember had quite a lot of chrome plastic on them, gold and silver, which of course makes uh, finding original generation one secondhand Dinobots in actually decent nick quite difficult because that tended to wear quite a lot. Um, Yeah yeah
1: even playing with it as a kid I remember it by 1985-1986 my cousin had sludge and I think he started looking quite tatty fairly quickly so there we
0: go. But was this a tatty episode? No, this was a pretty damn good episode, actually. It had quite a decent fight at the end with the Dinobots and the Decepticons. Uh, The retreat was sounded for very sound reasons this time, because they were getting a thorough drubbing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, excellent. And, you know, it had the Dinobots in it. So what's not to love here? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I think, like
1: last week, they had to give Skyfire a big character arc and make him a real believable robot to make us fall in love with him. The Dinobots just have to turn up, and immediately everybody
0: loves them. So, uh, so, so, a bit of a winner for the Dinobots. Who's your Who's your man of the match this week? Uh, my man of the match this week, I think, has got to be Wheeljack for making the Dinobots in the first place and for actually scoring a damaging hit on Megatron as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. As 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 Prime being able to damage Megatron that much. In this I series. don't know
0: that he has. I mean, one occasion, particularly memorable occasion, he did something that probably should have damaged Megatron, but instead just powered him up more by throwing him into a some kind of computer bank in a power station. So, yeah, yeah. I think uh, Wheeljack has probably come closest to actually just beating Megatron. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame he just wants to stay in the arc tinkering because he'd be a real asset on the field. Yeah, that neuroinhibitor shell of his is quite useful. Just make a whole bunch of those and you've got the whole thing sewn up. I do just want to make one point about Wheeljack's neuroinhibitor is that it's his shoulder cannon,
1: which has the great big missile in it, and rather than the great big missile coming out, it shoots a laser beam from the tip of the missile, which drives me nuts. I what that is. I want to see the missile coming out. <laughs> you know, I've got to have that bit of excitement in my life, and just seeing it fire a laser beam is,
0: is just not. Doesn't do it Ab- sure. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the toys had missiles that went were spring-loaded. Yeah, yeah, they'd go flying across the room. That would yeah. knock Megatron over from the other yeah. side of the room. But I, I
1: can't begrudge it too much. I think we've had two fantastic episodes of Transformers tonight. Uh, I
0: thoroughly enjoyed them, and I'm very much looking forward to what's coming next. As am I. So. It just remains to say thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Jason Thompson and you've been Steve Alexander. (laughs) We'll be back next week with another action-packed double bill. But until then, if you're going to build dinosaurs, give them mind expanders. It's much more effective. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at robotsineyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice.